0: The Craig Fawley Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Lynette's Shrimp House, located in Highland Park. It's Metro Detroit's premier destination, serving juicy fried shrimp, fish, and wings, alongside soul food sides and new additions to the menu, like turkey tacos and desserts. Located at 13548 Woodward in Highland Park, just north of the Davison, Lynette's is open for takeaway, noon to 8, Tuesday and Thursday, noon to 10 p.m., Friday and Saturday, and noon to 5 p.m. on Sunday. Call now. Get some Lynette's. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very much for being with me on what is a Tuesday here in Metro Detroit. And the reason that I mentioned the day is that yesterday, if you're one of the fortunate people that actually got to go on to the YouTube stream of this hearing that took place in the Eastern District of Michigan Federal Court yesterday, well, I wouldn't call you lucky, but at the same time, it was a fascinating spectacle to watch uh, there was, of course, a, a disciplinary hearing, really, frankly, a sanctions hearing for the attorneys who brought the lawsuit against Michigan's elections results. The people who were arguing on behalf of the Trump administration seeking to overturn the results in Michigan, of course, a state which he lost by 154,000 votes, 3% of the vote. And, of course, there were lots of affidavits filed and everything else, but that doesn't mean there was any merit to them. So, of course, the state wants a little payback on this one because they had to pay to defend these things, and it costs a lot of money to do this. Well, one person who did watch this yesterday, almost all six hours of it, is my friend Barb McQuaid. She, of course, is a professor at the University of Michigan Law School. She also is the host of Sisters in Law, one of four hosts of Sisters in Law, a new podcast, uh, which is really fantastic, by the way. If you're interested in legal issues, it is really terrific, um, and I really do uh, like it quite a bit. And, of course, she also is the former prosecutor here for the Eastern District of Michigan, former U.S. attorney here. Barb McQuaid, welcome back. It's always a pleasure.
1: Thank you, Craig. Glad to be with you.
0: All right. Long, convoluted intro there, and I apologize for that. I mean, um, you know, but, but watching this yesterday sort of scrambled my brain. I was able to get in for a little while, uh, but not for the whole thing. And I followed most of it on Twitter throughout the day yesterday mm-hmm. as a lot of reporters were covering this. Uh, and, of course, you were tweeting about it yesterday as well. But this hearing went for six hours yesterday. Um, and. There aren't a ton of sanction hearings that most people are interested in, but is it unusual for something to go this long uh, the way that this did yesterday?
1: It is. Well, number one, sanctions hearings alone are are, are pretty unusual. Um, sanctions are allowed under rule eleven of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. If a lawyer violates his duty uh, to certify to the court with his filing that uh, he has filed something in good faith after an investigation, that the pleading is based in fact and law. And uh, the Dana Nessel, our attorney general, filed a motion after Judge Linda Parker dismissed this lawsuit back in December, it was filed by lawyers who claimed that the election was stolen. Uh, she dismissed it saying that there's just absolutely no basis in fact. It was all about speculation and conjecture. So she dismissed the lawsuit and then uh, Attorney General Nessel filed a motion for sanctions that These lawyers should pay to reimburse the taxpayers of Michigan for the $11,000 in costs and fees that it took to defend this lawsuit. And so yesterday, one of the reasons it took six hours is Judge Parker did a really meticulous job. I mean, really a master class. She ran it kind of like a deposition. And, you know, back earlier in her career, she was a civil lawyer at the law firm of Dickinson Wright. And I could really see a lot of that lawyer coming out yesterday where she tried to pin down uh, these lawyers, you know, one by one she went through these affidavits. Okay, let's talk about this affidavit. It says um, he believes that he saw people switching votes from Trump to Biden. Um, did anyone talk to this person? No. Uh, what, does anyone say what the what the belief is based on? No. Uh, and, and one by one, she went through it in that way.
0: Well, and that seemed to be the theme of the day yesterday was basically her asking these types of questions and then coming back to the point, did any of you vet any of these affidavits before you brought them forward? Because I mean, I could swear to anything. It doesn't mean it's true. And if you're a lawyer, what is your responsibility to vet these things?
1: Yeah, you do have a responsibility to vet them. In fact, it appears that they took affidavits that were filed in other lawsuits and just attached them to this one. Um, And as Judge Parker said many times, you know, a lawyer has due diligence to inquire as to what is the basis behind these affidavits. And so I think one of the lawyers responded, well, judge, I can't alter an affidavit. No, what you do is you go get a new one. You talk (laughs) to the witness. You say, tell me what you saw. Give me the facts on which you base your belief. And you put that in the affidavit. You draft it with the witness. Usually the lawyer drafts it based on what the witness has to say. And then the, the witness looks at it, makes sure it's accurate and signs it. And so uh, but by but, but going through this, Judge Parker demonstrated that they did not make that kind of uh, factual investigation before filing this lawsuit. Um, and instead, as she stated and as counsel for the city of Detroit, David Fink stated, it appears that this lawsuit was not filed to prevail in court, but for a different purpose. And that is to falsely persuade people that there's something wrong in Michigan, that there was election fraud and to provide a talking point for the public that the election was stolen.
0: Well, you know, interestingly enough, David Fink, uh, the attorney again for the city of Detroit on this one, uh, made a direct connection between what happened in Michigan's case uh, and of course, what happened on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. And while that not, might not be necessarily relevant to the sanctions question here, um, he was definitely making a bit of a political point himself here, was he not?
1: Yeah, I think he was trying to demonstrate to the judge that these weren't academic errors. You know, sometimes lawyers make errors in good faith. They make a mistake. And, you know, in those instances, I think judges are inclined to let it go in the interest of kind of the fog of war that occurs during litigation. But that's not what happened here, I think, is what David Fink is arguing. He is instead arguing that this was a deliberate attempt to undermine faith in our elections within the United States, faith in democracy around the world, and that it directly sparked those people to attack the Capitol on January 6th by having a case pending in court, you're able to give legitimacy to this allegation that the election was stolen. And so I think he was demonstrating to the court the real harm that resulted from their conduct.
0: Well, and, and that seems to me then that that could have potential repercussions beyond just the sanctions and the repaying of, of whatever court costs that the city incurred in this and the state incurred in this case, uh, that there may be some sort of uh, you know, impact on, on their ability to practice law in the future.
1: Well, one of the things that uh, the parties have asked for, that is the attorney general on behalf of the state of Michigan and the lawyer for the city of Detroit, uh, they asked not only for the repayment of these costs and fees, but also referral to the bar associations of which these lawyers are are members. You know, Sidney Powell was from Texas and, you know, they're all from different places, Um, but also asking the chief judge of the Eastern District of Michigan to ban them from ever practicing again in the Eastern District of Michigan. Um, And I think, you know, when you think about punishment in any context, whether it's criminal punishment or, in this instance, uh, sanctions. One of the purposes is to deter not only these people, but others from engaging in similar conduct in the future. And so if you want to put a stop to having lawyers abuse the court system for political gain, one way to do that is to punish these lawyers in this instance. And that was one of the things that those lawyers asked for.
0: Well, I want to go back to the affidavits for just a minute, because, you know, in, in having discussions with a lot of people who maybe, uh, you know, feel that there was something wrong with the election um, and, and going back to, you know, Melissa Carone and people like this who've been filing these affidavits. I mean, these are sworn statements, um, but I, I think the judge uh, referred to them as having layers of hearsay, which, of <laughs> course, is inadmissible in court. Um, hearsay evidence does not work. Uh, but at the same time, if somebody knowingly files a false affidavit, Could they be facing some potential penalties here?
1: Yes. um, A a sworn statement that is filed in court uh, could expose somebody to uh, charges of perjury or false statements, um, which are criminal charges. It's not clear to me whether these affiants knew that their affidavits were going to be submitted to this particular litigation. Um, But it is also interesting to note, the language that is used in these affidavits are very subjective. You know, I believe this. Yes. um, Which is what the judge really drilled down on, that in many ways they were completely lacking of any probative value because they said things like, I believe people were altering ballots from Trump to Biden. Well, Okay. You believe that. Good for you. What is the factual basis for that? You know, what most people form a belief because I saw someone take a pen in their hand and change this uh, uh, this vote. They don't say that or they say things like I was perplexed by what I saw or I saw plastic bags that looked as if they contained papers that could be ballots being delivered to the TCF center. It may be literally true. <laughs> But, you know, as as Judge Parker did really was continue to drill down on those statements. You know, they're intended to give this impression that there is something wrong. But if you really ask about they looked as if the papers could be ballots and therefore what? What where were they going? What happened to them? Why was that improper? Um, And they couldn't answer those questions, which is why Judge Parker, um, you know, said that she believed that uh, there was not proper due diligence by these lawyers before filing these affidavits, and that it appears to her that this is being filed for this ulterior motive of suggesting that there was something wrong in the election in Michigan.
0: Well, I have to say, Barb, one of my favorite moments yesterday was when she basically asked uh, uh, Sidney Powell, who is one of, of course, the, the big name Trump attorneys that were there along with Lynn Wood at the mm-hmm. hearing yesterday, uh, the high profile attorneys that the Trump team brought on for this. Uh, she basically was uh, the judge was was admonishing her really for not doing due diligence on these affidavits and and bringing a bunch of, of hearsay and things like that to the table. Uh, Powell's response was that. The fact that she submitted 900 pages of evidence was what she said was extraordinary due diligence. And Judge Parker responded, quote, volume doesn't equate to legitimacy, which I mean, that tells me pretty clearly what she thinks about this, quote unquote, evidence that was brought forth by by Wood and, and Powell.
1: Yeah, it's like you know the kid in um, middle school who has an assignment to write a two hundred word essay, and uh, they 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 at the end in the last paragraph just keeps saying very 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 because they got to get to the word count, right? So just <laughs> you, you, you are a professor,
0: all... I can tell. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know the fact that just because we have all of these affidavits, if all of them are lacking in any probative value, then the sheer number of them doesn't make you know any any difference whatsoever. And then one of the things Sydney Powell said is. I would do it again, and that um, she was waiting for the crucible of trial to test the veracity of these affidavits.
0: Um, okay, that's something they've been pushing real fast. Yeah, they, they they continue to argue that they've never had an opportunity to actually argue the facts in court. But then again, none of the facts that they've been presenting have passed any of the evidence smell test to this point. Um, mm-hmm. So, is there an op- would there ever be an opportunity to actually argue these things without some sort of affidavit that actually passes muster because they clearly the courts don't believe they've seen them.
1: Yeah. So this is the most important part of, of all of this, Craig. You've really hit on it. And this is where um, Sidney Powell and others are doing a real sleight of hand. They are equating the standard for trial with a standard for pleading. And before you can even bring a lawsuit, a lawyer, by filing a, a pleading in court, is certifying to the court that they have done an investigation, that they've engaged in due diligence, and that the lawsuit is well-grounded in fact and law. That is, yes, later there may be a trial to test the veracity, but you need to have facts that are alleged. So as we were just discussing these affidavits, say, I believe ballots were altered. I was perplexed by what I saw. I saw bags that looked as if they could be ballots. They need more facts than that. Tell me what it is about your belief. I saw someone take a pen and erase Trump and enter Biden. Um, you, and, then, and then when you get to court, you test the veracity of that. Did the person say it? They, they sit there in court. You ask them what they saw. Um, you cross-examine them. And someone, a judge or a jury, a fact finder, makes a determination as to whether they're telling the truth. But you need the facts to at least be alleged in the first instance to decide whether there's enough to even go forward. And that's what lawyers are supposed to do. You can't file a lawsuit uh, based on stuff you've just made up. You need to have factual allegations that some law was violated. And that is what Judge Parker spent six hours. It was tedious, but it was meticulous, really trying to pin down. And I think she made a very good record. Um, and she even asked for supplemental briefings, which signals to me, I have no inside information, but you wouldn't go through this effort. If you weren't very, very seriously considering imposing sanctions on these lawyers, I think that's why she's making such a good record here.
0: Well, I I think that became pretty clear, um, you know, throughout the day and that I think some of the attorneys that were involved sort of started to recognize that they may be in real trouble here in that Lynn Wood um, (laughs) tried to basically say, hey. Yeah, I'm here, but I wasn't really involved. He actually said that he did not review any of the documents with respect to the complaint. He said, my name was placed on there, but I had no involvement. Now, that may not pass the smell test based on some other things um, that were going on earlier. Uh, But the fact that you see him trying to sort of sever himself from the rest of the group, I don't know. That says to me that he's a little concerned.
1: Yeah, it also says not only am I dishonest, I'm also dishonorable. (laughs) Um, it's, it's not good, you know, in fact, in some ways it's even worse to say I allowed my name to be put on something, but I never read it, um, that, you know, a a lawyer has a duty to make sure if their name's going on it with the imprimatur that brings, I'm an officer of the court and in here is a document that certifies that this is all well-grounded in fact, after a reasonable investigation of the facts and law to say, oh yeah, I let them put my name on it, but I never read it. I mean, that's an abuse of your authority as a lawyer. You have a duty to read things and make sure that only things that you can attest to bear your name.
0: Well, you know, that's a little trick I used to do when I was covering the Capitol in Lansing is there a bill would come out and I would never talk to the sponsor. I'd always talk to the co-sponsors about the content of the bill just to see if they'd actually read them. And of course, (laughs) nine times out of 10, they're like, uh, I'll get back to you on that. I'm like, can you put your name on this thing? Uh, is this the unintended consequence you're looking for? And you know it works it's a it's a really good tactic by the way for uh, young reporters out there um but you know you take a look at this it it seems to me that the judge was also trying to basically set a template for every other court that might be going through something uh, you know like this because there were suits filed in multiple states um to overturn elections we're getting you know pushback in other states for you know more audits and recounts it it, it seems that other judges around the country in the federal system can look at this and say all right, this is how mm-hmm. we're gonna do this because many of those affidavits are from other states.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right. There's litigation pending in, in other uh parts of the country as well. You know, they Sidney Powell famously referred to this series of lawsuits as, you know, releasing the kraken. And so people have referred to all of yes, this Perseus as Perseus
0: is <laughs> shaking in his boots.
1: <laughs> yeah. The the Kraken, of course, I guess is what some mythical sea creature and a Seattle yes. hockey team to be. Um yeah. but uh I, I think uh uh, you know, it was sort of a, a a threat that the monster was going to be released and they were going to fight hard. And I don't know, I guess that appeals to some people. But um, yeah, I think in all of those places, uh, uh, if Judge Parker were to impose sanctions here, I think um, could um, cause them to follow suit. Of course, they're not bound to do or not do anything that Judge Parker does. I think that if frivolous lawsuits were filed in other parts of the country, judges there should be considering sanctions as well. You know, I think judges are often reluctant to impose sanctions because you don't want to discourage lawsuits that are filed in good faith by people who might have just written something that is um, sloppy or clumsy because they have real clients uh, who deserve representation and access to justice. And uh, sometimes um, the high-priced lawyers do a great job. And and sometimes if you can't afford a high-priced lawyer, maybe your pleadings aren't quite perfect. And I think judges are willing to tolerate imperfection but I think what they're not willing to tolerate is dishonesty. And it appears that that's what's happening here.
0: Uh, well, I mean, obviously that came back to bite Rudy Giuliani a little bit. He lost mm-hmm. his uh, he lost well he's suspended in, in New yeah. York, uh, suspended in Washington, D.C. And it's likely that he could lose his license in both of those jurisdictions. And I mean, if you think about the fall from grace for a guy like Rudy Giuliani, who used to have your position in New York, which yeah. is perhaps the most important U.S. attorney seat in the country, um, that should be warning to every attorney out there that nobody is untouchable. And I wonder, and maybe you can speculate on this, maybe you can't, but was it the arrogance of these people thinking that since it's political, they'll never really face any repercussions for this?
1: I don't know. And I wonder if to some extent they care more about their political reputation than they do their legal reputation. Um, You know, it may be that at this stage of Rudy Giuliani's career, he doesn't really care whether he can practice in court. I don't know. Uh, that he cares more about his ability to fundraise with Donald Trump. Uh, they've used these lawsuits as fundraising opportunities. Um, and so I don't know. It's it's really hard to get in the head of these people. Um, and, and, you know, I also feel compelled to say that most lawyers take these rules really seriously. Sure. Uh, and that's why, uh, you know, Judge Parker, I think, um, is making such a big deal about this abuse. Uh, I think that when people in the public... See lawyers behaving in this way; it taints the entire profession. People think that, oh, that's how lawyers operate, and and they don't. The lawyers take very seriously their duties of, you know, candor toward the tribunal is an ethical duty um, under Rule three point three of the Rules of Professional Responsibility. Um, most lawyers take that very seriously. They worry about their law license and their ethical duty, and you know, we're trained in it through, from law school, uh, and every day you practice law, and so to see lawyers like this abuse that privilege that they have in court, uh, I think is offensive. I think Judge Parker is offended by it. And and that's why I think for those of us who do take our duty seriously, you know, just like police officers who do their job right, when somebody is abusing their authority, we want to see them held accountable because um, otherwise it taints the reputations of all of us.
0: Well, one last question for you, Barbara, and I appreciate the time today. But um, last night, apparently after the hearing. Lynn Wood actually released portions of the video from the hearing on a social media channel, which I, last I checked, cameras and, and recordings are not allowed in federal court. Obviously, with Zoom and, and things going on today, there are some exceptions being made, but you're still not supposed to release that stuff outside of that. And she specifically ordered nobody to share this stuff. Um, how is the judge typically going to react to something like that?
1: Well, I don't know how Judge Parker is going to react to it, but you know, I, I joined on the YouTube channel, as you said, as did about 13,000 people. And there is a specific instruction there that you are not to take screenshots, that you are not to share video, that you're not to record any of it. And, um, you know, I took that seriously, and uh, everyone should. Um, The federal court still does not permit cameras in the courtroom. And so I think by violating that uh, order, standing order of the court, he has subjected himself uh, to potential sanctions or contempt. Um, So we'll see whether the judge pursues that my guess is he'll get a warning she'll if I were her i i, I would want to show cause why he should not be held in contempt or sanctioned for that behavior if he's got a good excuse I didn't know I don't know come on, come uh, perhaps, on. but uh uh but it is sanctionable conduct I think to violate a specific order of the court
0: uh, well timeline on this then um you know obviously it's going to take several weeks we're, we're guessing
1: Yeah, she gave them two weeks to file supplemental briefs, uh, which I think is an extraordinary courtesy in light of the fact she already spent six hours talking to them and they've already filed extensive briefs in the case. But nonetheless, that's why I said it seemed like she was going to extraordinary lengths to make a good record here. And so giving them this opportunity for supplemental briefs to to say anything more they want to say to the court. uh, She gave 10 pages, 14 days. uh, And I would imagine that after she has read those, she will promptly Um, release her decision. So I'll look forward to reading that.
0: Well, very good. I I want to thank my guest, Barb McQuaid. Of course, she's the former uh, former U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan and also, of course, a professor of law at the University of Michigan. And now the host, oh, she's on MSNBC. I forgot to mention that earlier uh, all the time. Uh, And also now has the Sisters in Law podcast. And real quick, what's coming up on the next episode of the podcast? Because it has been a lot of fun to listen to. For a non-lawyer like me, I'm enjoying it.
1: Yeah, well, thanks, Craig. You know, we try to recap the news of the week, so I don't know yet. We usually have a meeting late Thursday afternoon to discuss- It is only
0: Tuesday. And, yeah, and- <laughs> what's what's in the
1: news. So um, we try to be timely. And, and many times we end up changing up the show. We record late Friday afternoons uh, to be as responsive as possible. So we usually pick, you know, maybe two or three topics of legal items in the news that we think are of most interest that we can help. And, and our goal really is just to explain, to try to break down so that uh, people can understand and be more engaged in in their government.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, it's been great so far and uh, it's it's a welcome addition to the podcast landscape. I know there's a lot of them out there, but there are some that are worth listening to. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Craig. Thanks, everybody, for listening to The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. I really do appreciate all of your support. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, it's important that you share it, that you rate this podcast, and that, of course, you subscribe to this podcast. It all helps. And the more sponsors we get, the more interviews we can do, the more shows I can put together. And I certainly do uh, want to make sure that you are enjoying what you're listening to. So if you have suggestions, you can reach out to me. Show at gmail.com. Again, that's Show at gmail.com. You can get through to me that way. It's very, very easy to do. And you can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, just about anywhere. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Looking for the latest news and information about our great city of Detroit? Head to DeadlineDetroit.com, the one-stop shopping for the most important stories of the day. Deadline Detroit has some of the best journalists in town, providing original reporting, videos, and podcasts that keep you in the know about everything happening in Detroit. Become a member today, and you'll automatically be entered into a drawing for prizes, including gift cards to some of Detroit's best restaurants. Go to DeadlineDetroit.com membership.